Welcome to the Overcoming Adversity podcast presented by BYU Speeches, featuring BYU devotionals that help listeners tackle the storms of life and become more resilient. Be sure to check out our other podcasts by searching BYU Speeches wherever you get your podcasts or by visiting speeches.byu.edu slash podcasts. We are only about two weeks into the beginning of the spring term here on campus. Uh, Many of you are current students, and those of you who have completed this period of your life probably still remember what it's like to walk into a fresh new classroom at the beginning of the semester or term. The gap between what you know now and what you need to know to do well in the course is often large, perhaps overwhelming. A university education requires that you learn many different subjects. Some of these will come naturally to you. Some of these you will never feel quite confident about. Some subjects will be exciting and engaging, and others you will vow never to visit willingly. (laughs) Regardless of the subject, you know from the beginning that success will require you to work, usually to work hard. You will have an instructor to guide you, and she will provide you with things to read, assignments that make you think, and exams that allow you to prove yourself. You may have teaching assistants who can help you, and of course you have the assistance of the instructor. This model of classroom learning also applies to our mortal life. Elder Robert D. Hales taught, the purpose of our life on earth is to grow, develop, and be strengthened through our own experiences. Similarly, the purpose of learning in the classroom is to grow in knowledge, develop skills, and to be strengthened in our understanding as we work diligently to acquire new knowledge and abilities. In Abraham chapter 3, verse 25, we read, And we will prove them herewith to see if they will do all things whatsoever the Lord their God shall command them. Just as you must eventually submit to examinations or other assessments to prove your learning in the classroom, we must submit to repeated tests and challenges in our earthly lives. These trials allow us to prove that we are progressing in our mortal journey, and they may be particularly intense periods of growth. Much as students ramp up their efforts to study when an exam is looming, the experience of a spiritual test can heighten our own efforts to learn from the Lord. To fulfill the purpose of learning and gaining experience, it was essential that as we were born onto the earth, we passed through a veil. In so doing, we came to earth having forgot all that occurred before. This is perhaps one of the most challenging things about our lives because we are restricted with mortal eyes. There is much about the eternal perspective and the purposes and timing of God that we do not understand. In the same way as we approach a new subject in a classroom, the instructor has a broader perspective, being able to see how all of the material fits together and how it connects to broader fields of knowledge in a way that we usually cannot in the beginning. The story of Ignaz Simmelweis illustrates some concepts about questions, learning, and answers. I assume this story is familiar to many of you. As a woman and an epidemiologist, I count Dr. Semmelweis among my heroes. In 1847, Dr. Semmelweis, a Hungarian physician, was working as the chief resident in an Austrian medical clinic. There are many versions of this story in which the details vary, but the crux of the story is that Dr. Semmelweis observed that approximately 10% of women who delivered their babies in his clinic, known as the first clinic, died of childbed fever. We now know that childbed fever is an infection of the female reproductive organs caused by strep bacteria. 
However, in the mid-1800s, the cause of childbed fever was a mystery. Dr. Simmelweis was first alerted to the potential ability to reduce deaths from childbed fever when he observed that the second maternity clinic, which was staffed primarily by midwives, had a much lower rate of childbed fever deaths, about 4%. Even more shocking, women giving birth in the streets of Vienna were even less likely to contract childbed fever. Dr. Simmelweis undertook a rigorous study of the differences between the two clinics and for many months could not isolate a potential cause. The breakthrough occurred through tragedy. A friend and fellow physician of the clinic named Jakob was participating with students in a post-mortem examination. During the exam, Jakob was accidentally cut with a scalpel. Within a few days, he was dead, dying from a disease that produced the same signs and symptoms and seemed to follow the same natural course as childbed fever. Following this tragedy, Dr. Simmelweis theorized that something from the cadaver was being carried on the physician's hands to the maternity ward and proposed that the physician should begin washing their hands with a chlorinated lime solution. This would be similar to a modern-day bleach solution. Although he was met with much resistance from the hospital staff, he enacted a policy, and as a result of the policy, a miraculous decline in childbed fever deaths occurred, dropping nearly 90% in a few weeks. Despite the astounding evidence that this simple act of handwashing could save the lives of so many women, Dr. Simmelweis's theory was rejected by his peers. In 1847, when Dr. Simmelweis undertook his investigations of childbed fever, most people in the world believed that disease was caused by a miasma. Specifically, that rotting organic matter polluted the air, and this polluted air spread disease. His finding fully contradicted the prevailing model of disease causation, which meant that he could neither explain why a physician going from a post-mortem exam to the maternity ward could transmit childbed fever, nor could he explain why handwashing reduced the rate of disease. Dr. Simmelweis had proven with his experiment that handwashing worked, because, but because he lacked the explanatory details, he could not convince his peers to trust him or the data. The other physicians simply felt that handwashing was too difficult and too time-consuming. They certainly were not about to change their practice without a complete explanation. The germ theory of disease, which would provide a rationale for handwashing, would not become widely accepted until after 1880. Dr. Simmelweis died in 1865 and would not live to see the scientific confirmation of his theory. Although he would die without seeing his work validated or adopted, Dr. Simmelweis never questioned what the data has shown him and never abandoned his efforts to persuade others to adopt handwashing. Perhaps the saddest part of Dr. Semmelweis's story is to consider the number of women who died and the number of children who grew up without their mothers due to the unwillingness of his contemporaries to accept a truth they could not explain. Spiritual knowledge may operate the same way. When we receive confirmation of truth through personal revelation, we may be met with opposition from our contemporaries because we cannot explain how or why something is. Just as Dr. Simmelweis had to trust his experience, we must trust our experience of revelation and trust in God as we wait for more to be revealed. Our scientific understanding has grown by leaps and bounds since the days of Dr. Simmelweis, but there is still more scientific truth to be discovered. Some of you are currently participating in research that is expanding our understanding. Similarly, our understanding of spiritual truths has grown exponentially since the day that Joseph Smith knelt in the sacred grove. 
Yet despite all that has been revealed, we know that there is still more. The ninth article of faith says, we believe all that God has revealed, all that he does now reveal, and we believe that he will yet reveal many great and important things pertaining to the kingdom of God. We believe he will yet reveal many great and important things. This promise of pending revelation tells us that the process of revelation is ongoing and that things we do not yet know will someday be known. Personal revelation is the ongoing and lifelong process of thinning the veil that separates us from our Father in heaven. Revelation increases our capacity to understand spiritual things and expands our knowledge. Because our Father in heaven wants us to succeed, he has provided for us the scriptures and teachings of the prophets to help us. We have peers, teachers, and church leaders with whom we can discuss these materials. We have a living prophet, the gift of the Holy Ghost, and most importantly, we have access to our Father in heaven through prayer. Just like learning in the classroom, success in acquiring spiritual knowledge will require diligent and effortful work. As we strive to expand our spiritual knowledge, questions about policies, procedures, or principles come to us all. Elder Hales wrote, As we grow in the gospel, it is natural to have questions and sometimes even doubts. Genuine questions can actually fuel our spiritual growth. Dr. Semmelweis made an observation, and this observation concerned him. His scientific discovery occurred in the way that many do. He saw something he could not explain, and he asked a question. This question eventually led to an answer. Spiritual discovery, or revelation, also begins this way. We observe or encounter something we do not understand, and we begin to ask questions. Questions can serve as the starting point for receiving personal revelation. Gospel questions may also arise from the influence of competing voices. Elder Dieter F. Uchtdorf stated, Never in the history of the world have we had easier access to more information. Some of it true, some of it false, and much of it partially true. Consequently, never in the history of the world has it been more important to learn how to correctly discern between truth and error. In his most recent General Conference address, President Russell M. Nelson taught, If we are to have any hope of sifting through the myriad of voices and the philosophies of men that attack truth, we must learn to receive revelation. When we have questions or concerns about the gospel, seeking revelation on the subject should be our most important objective. Questions, particularly questions that arise about the gospel, can be particularly trying. Questions are inherently born of uncertainty, and we as humans are vehemently opposed to uncertainty. We dislike the feeling of not knowing because we feel vulnerable. Yet this vulnerability can actually be a sacred space. I have been learning an important lesson about living with uncertainty and vulnerability over the past several years. When my parents divorced 13 years ago, I experienced an earth-shattering shift in my faith. Although I was already an adult, the shift in the structure of my family was difficult. Suddenly, nothing seemed like it was quite right anymore. Prior to the divorce, I was already in a pretty fragile place emotionally and spiritually. I had graduated from college and was working on my master's degree, but I did not yet feel settled. I felt like I was existing in some no-man's land. I felt lost, 
unsure of what I should do. The divorce amplified that feeling as the family structure I was accustomed to disappeared. This was a significant trial in my life, and throughout this experience, I began to question my faith. In particular, I struggled significantly with testimony meetings. I would listen to the testimonies of others, and almost without exception, they contained the phrase, I know. I know that God lives. I know the Book of Mormon is true. I know, I know, I know. But the problem was I didn't know. I believed in God. I believed the Book of Mormon was scripture. I believed that Jesus died for me. I believed in prophets, but I could not say with confidence I knew. At least not the way it seemed that everybody else could. I was deep in the grasp of uncertainty. I honestly believe that for some people, maybe even lots of people, they have received personal knowledge of the things they bear testimony of, but for me this knowledge did not come. I have had a handful of powerful revelatory experiences in my life, and because of this I knew God was aware of me and that he was guiding my life. But this seems so much less than the confident testimonies I heard from others. I went through a period of years feeling uncomfortable at church, feeling that I didn't belong. There were periods when it really felt so much easier to be anywhere but church. I was blessed with good friends and supportive family during this period who helped me navigate. It didn't happen right away, but over time I came to the conclusion that the only way to manage this uncertainty was to walk through it. So I began to explore and to study. I opened the scriptures and I read the words of the prophets, but I also read other good books on religious topics. I began to have whispered conversations in safe spaces where I could express my uncertainty. Through my study and conversations, I learned that my experience was more common than rare. During this period, I encountered the following scripture in Alma 32, 16 through 18, which reads, Therefore, blessed are they who humble themselves without being compelled to be humble, or rather, in other words, blessed is he that believeth in the word of God, and is baptized without stubbornness of heart, yea, without being brought to know the word, or even compelled to know before they believe. Yea, there are many who do say, if thou wilt show unto us a sign from heaven, then we shall know of a surety, then we shall believe. Now I ask, is this faith? Behold, I say unto you, nay. For if a man knoweth a thing, he hath no cause to believe, for he knoweth it. I grew up in the church. I attended four years of early morning seminary and four years of religion classes at BYU. I could recite to you this and other definitions of faith. But before this time, I had not separated belief and faith as being different from a sure knowledge. This witnessed to me that it was absolutely okay to be unsure and still choose to believe. This, after all, was the essence of faith. Later in my journey, I was introduced to Doctrine and Covenants 46.13, which reads, To some is given to believe on their words, that they may also have eternal life if they continue faithful. I was familiar with this chapter, but somehow I had always missed this. To believe was a spiritual gift, just as was knowledge gained through the Holy Ghost mentioned in verse 13 of the same section. When I began this account, I said I was learning this lesson. Over the last five or so years, I have become increasingly comfortable with exercising faith, faith in the uncertainty. But this is still a process. 
I am learning that these feelings of vulnerability, though uncomfortable, help me to be more in touch with the Spirit as I continue to walk through this vulnerability. I am growing closer to my Savior. The answers to our questions will come to us through personal revelation. As children of God, we have the privilege of seeking revelation to direct us in our growth and decision-making. Elder Uchtdorf taught, Latter-day Saints are not asked to blindly accept everything they hear. We are encouraged to think and discover truth for ourselves. We are expected to ponder, to search, to evaluate, and thereby to come to a personal knowledge of the truth. Much as I expect my students to read, to study, and to participate in class as they seek understanding of the course material, our Heavenly Father expects us to read and to study and to practice faith as we seek revelation. Learning to receive personal revelation is a process of preparation and consistent effort. Sister Julie B. Beck stated, the ability to qualify for, receive, and act on personal revelation is the single most important skill that can be acquired in this life. One of the reasons I love this quote is that Sister Beck talks about personal revelation as a skill. Like all skills, practice improves performance. President Nelson has taught us how to begin developing this skill. Find a quiet place where you can regularly go. Humble yourself before God. Pour out your heart to your Heavenly Father. Turn to Him for answers and for comfort. Pray in the name of Jesus Christ about your concerns, your fears, your weaknesses, yes, the very longing of your heart, and then listen. Write the thoughts that come to your mind. Record your feelings and follow through with actions that you are prompted to take. As you repeat this process, day after day, month after month, year after year, you will grow into the principle of revelation. Even with our best efforts, not all questions will be answered quickly, and some questions may not be fully answered until we have again passed through the veil. Elder Jeffrey R. Holland once stated, Some blessings come soon, some come late, and some don't come until heaven. But for those that embrace embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ, they come. I believe that we can apply this idea to our search for answers. Some answers come soon, some come late, and some don't come until heaven. But for those who embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ, they come. Sometimes when a student asks a question in class, the complete answer is too complicated to be given at that time. Perhaps we've not yet covered the background information for it to be understandable. Perhaps the answer would take us far beyond the scope of the course. In such situations, I must often ask my students to trust me. This is similar to the experience a parent might have when a toddler inquires about the necessity of green beans. A toddler does not yet have the developmental capacity to understand the whole answer to the question of why we need to eat green beans. So a parent asks a child to trust them and perhaps gives part of the answer. Green beans help our bodies grow healthy and strong. It's not the entire story, but it's enough for now. As a child grows and develops, a more complete explanation can be given. Answers to our spiritual questions may come in similar fashion. It is my experience that when I am wrestling with a question, that the answers may come here a little, there a little. 
I believe one of the reasons for this is that I have not yet acquired all of the background knowledge or achieved the state of spiritual development in which I am capable of receiving and understanding the complete answer. It may also be that waiting for a response is an important part of the learning process. In my situation, had the Lord immediately responded to my questions with sure knowledge, I would not be learning the value of walking in faith. Other times, answers or guidance is slow in coming at all. Elder Hale stated, We may not know when or how the Lord's answers will be given, but in his time and his way, I testify his answers will come. For some answers, we may have to wait until the hereafter. This may be true for some promises in our patriarchal blessings and for some blessings for family members. Let us not give up on the Lord. His blessings are eternal, not temporary. In situations where it seems an answer is being withheld, our Heavenly Father is asking us to trust him, to hang on a little longer, to be faithful, to be patient, to wait. The scriptures issue the invitation to wait upon the Lord. I have generally thought about waiting as an idle activity. When I am waiting in line at the grocery store or waiting for something to occur, I will admit that I am very likely to be wasting my time. I might be browsing Facebook or scrolling through the news. However, we must never think about waiting on the Lord as an idle activity. Elder Hale stated, What then does it mean to wait upon the Lord? In the scriptures, the word wait means to hope, to anticipate, and to trust. To hope and trust in the Lord requires faith, patience, humility, meekness, long-suffering, keeping the commandments, and enduring to the end. To wait upon the Lord means planting the seed of faith and nourishing it with great diligence and patience. When we wait upon the Lord, we should be actively engaged in keeping the commandments and surrounding ourselves with the Spirit. Leading up to the first vision, Joseph Smith was surrounded by a religious fervor. At this particular time in history, there was a revival among Christian denominations. As these various denominations debated their relative values, divisions between the people grew. I imagine that this scene was probably not all that different from what we see happening in our world today. Although today's divisions are as likely to be caused by political or social debate as religious debate, we also see great division among the people. This part of the story is well known to most members of the church. Joseph, being a serious young man, set about reading the scriptures. And in his words, he says, While I was laboring under the extreme difficulties caused by the contests of these parties of religionists, I was one day reading the epistle of James. Now, the second part of this scripture you can probably recite from memory, but I want to pause a second to examine what we know from this small section. I do not know how much time passed from his initial exposure to these different religious sects until the day he was reading in James. But given that he says he was laboring under extreme difficulties, I imagine that his struggle to understand and his search for direction likely persisted for several weeks or perhaps months. We sometimes make the mistake of thinking that Joseph received a near-immediate response to his inquiry. But carefully evaluating the scripture suggests that the vision itself came only after some period of pondering and studying the scriptures. A couple of verses later, Joseph says, At length, I came to the conclusion. This is another indication that even stumbling upon the scripture in James did not result in an immediate understanding of how to act. 
Rather, it suggests that he spent some time, perhaps hours or even days, pondering how to apply the scripture. Although the Lord may sometimes ask us to trust him and to wait upon him, President Nelson taught, the invitation to trust the Lord does not relieve us from the responsibility to know for ourselves. This is more than an opportunity. It is an obligation, and it is one of the reasons we were sent to earth. Questions may be a natural consequence of spiritual growth, but we have a duty to do what is within our power to answer them. The opportunity for further revelation is enhanced when we humbly remember the witnesses of the Spirit we have already received. In the sacrament prayers, we witness that we will always remember him. Without doubt, we are promising to remember the beautiful sacrifice of our beloved Savior, but I believe we should also strive to always remember the tender confirmations of the Spirit. Earlier, we discussed that the purpose of our life was to grow, develop, and be strengthened through experiences. Although our Heavenly Father intends for us to be happy and find joy, it is often true that our periods of significant growth will be accompanied by hard things. Spiritual strength is built in much the way that our physical strength is built, through adversity. Three years ago, I decided that it was time for me to establish an exercise routine. Although I had participated in cardiovascular exercise on and off my entire life, I had never seriously pursued strength training. With the help of my very patient personal trainer, over the course of three years, I have developed some serious muscles, and my endurance has improved. Although I can recognize now the physical strength I have gained, getting up for a 5 a.m. gym appointment is terrible every single time. I complain a lot during my workouts, and I've been known to attempt to negotiate with my trainer. Perhaps I have not yet learned to endure adversity well. Adversity, like 4.30 wake-up calls and deadlifts, can reduce my ability to remember how grateful I am for my stronger, healthier body. Similarly, challenging circumstances in our lives and trials of faith can diminish our remembrance of previously revealed truth. Adversity comes to us all, even the most righteous among us. We must be careful not to allow adversity to erase our memory of spiritual experiences. While I was a student here at BYU nearly 20 years ago, Elder Holland gave what was for me a life-changing devotional address. It was an address that struck me so powerfully at the time that I can still tell you exactly where I was sitting, in a lecture hall of the Benson Building, watching the devotional being broadcast from the Marriott Center. This address, entitled, Cast Not Away, Therefore Your Confidence, has remained a staple in my gospel study for these last two decades. Each time I read it, I am reminded to always remember the tender feelings of the Spirit. In that address, Elder Holland, referring to the adversity that inevitably accompanies significant revelation, said, Don't panic and retreat. Don't lose your confidence. Don't forget how you once felt. Don't distrust the experience you had. I hope that you have had experiences with the spirit of revelation. Although you may not have seen grand miracles, I hope that you have felt the tender feelings of the Holy Ghost, comforting you and confirming truth to you. I have never had an angel appear to me, and I suspect I never will. But I have felt the confirming witness of the Holy Ghost. My search for truth and understanding is not over. I hope that I have another 50 or so years to walk the earth and continue my quest to learn the mysteries of God. 
I hope in this time that I will receive answers to questions I wrestle with now. President Nelson said, in the coming days, it will not be possible to survive spiritually without the guiding, directing, comforting, and constant influence of the Holy Ghost. It's difficult for me to imagine a stronger statement from our prophet on the importance of personal revelation. Given this emphasis, I imagine we all have some work to do to increase our capacity to hear and feel the Spirit speaking to us. President Nelson continues, I urge you to stretch beyond your current spiritual belief, uh, sorry, current spiritual ability to receive personal revelation. For the Lord has promised, if thou shalt seek, thou shalt receive revelation upon revelation, knowledge upon knowledge, that thou mayest know the mysteries and the peaceable things, that which bringeth joy, that which bringeth life eternal. I pray that you will heed the call of the prophet and choose to do the spiritual work required to enjoy the gift of the Holy Ghost and hear the voice of the Spirit more frequently and more clearly. I testify that the Lord is aware of you, of your needs, and of your questions. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. You've been listening to the Overcoming Adversity podcast presented by BYU Speeches. Please check out our other podcasts of recent speeches, classic speeches, and BYU Speeches compilations on love and marriage by study and by faith. Come follow me, the prophet Joseph Smith, and Jesus Christ, our Savior and Redeemer. Go to speeches.byu.edu and click on podcasts for more information. You can also find all BYU Speeches podcasts at your preferred podcast provider.